Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. It's, um, we've talked about it many, many, many times over the years mm. that you've been making this program. It's all about diversification, isn't it? Not, not putting your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Correct. Tried and tested, and it works. What about those people, though, who swear by, like I swear by, I swear by bricks and mortar. I reckon you can't be bricks and mortar. <laughs> I know, yeah. You're a recidivist there, again. I'm just an old geezer, that's the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can be save a tux along. You tell me about that. I know, and uh, that's a good thing about it. But I, I think also that there are many people out there who don't take enough notice of their KiwiSaver. Like, I had it in that yeah. conservative fund. I never thought more about it. It's a bit like, you know, you sign a document, you put it in the bottom drawer, and you forget about it. Yeah. When it could be working so much better for yeah, you. Yeah, I know, I know. And look, um, you know, it was only um, a month ago now that the uh, government gave the what used to be called uh, member tax credit, MTCs, member tax credits, which are now the government contributions. They all arrived in people's accounts with the $521 yes. um, for those that have saved the 1042 That's the, you know, um, the maximum tax credit's $521. And look, you know, they all arrived in people's accounts as their little reward yeah. from the government for saving. The last six months have been quite difficult in the markets. Mm-hmm. In fact, almost every asset class across the board, whether it be property, shares, bonds, everything has declined other than cash. Mm. But it's interesting that over the last month, there are some green shoots. And you know, a lot of people will be looking at their portfolios over the month of July and saying, it ain't all that bad. It's pretty right. good. Spring well, has come a little yes. bit early for in KiwiSaver land. Yeah, I was I was going to KiwiSaver the other day, and I said to my wife, gone up. All right, it has. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, look, um, you know, most developed world markets, when I mean developed world, I mean like, you know, NZ, Australia, Canada, United States, Britain, Japan, et cetera, you know, the big, the big more developed nations, you know, most of them are up over the month of July mm. by roughly 10% on average. Wow. We're going to talk about inflation a bit later yeah. on, so maybe the question I was going to ask you will leave till we talk sure. about inflation. But Why not? Tell us about the RBNZ. You, you say they've oh. muddled their mission. Why would you say that? Mate, they've muddled the mission. Look, um, the RBNZ, and look, when I was thinking about writing a piece and doing this particular show with you on the RBNZ, I was thinking about this three weeks ago, and I don't know about you, but it has been a feast in the media. Yes, the has. RBNZ has been dominating the press over about the last seven days. For all the wrong reasons. I mean, um, A, you've had former Reserve Bank governors uh, and mm. senior staffers coming out and openly saying the RBNZ lost its way and has made a number of serious mistakes since 2019, which culminated with late last week the Reserve Bank governor acknowledging that mistakes were made and that they will try to do better. Yes. It's very, very rare, by the way, that you have a former Reserve Bank governor 
criticising or critiquing the performance of the incumbent. That's very, very unusual because one must remember that central bankers are typically, they keep their opinions to themselves. Mm. They're a little bit like the judiciary mm. uh, in, in the fact, you know, like judges are chosen because of the fact that, you know, they're not going to typically make the front pages for negative reasons. Mm. Whereas central bank governors are very much the same and so are their staffers. So it's very unusual that, and it was with the New Zealand Initiative, they wrote a paper, co-authored a paper with former Reserve Bank Governor uh, Mr Wheeler. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very unusual for that to occur. And that happened last week. So the timeliness of us writing a piece uh, was appropriate. And look, you've had it where the Reserve Bank have lost um, roughly last year one-third of their employees resigned mm. or were made redundant or took early retirement or just moved on. Now, the reason why I make that statement, because that's not unusual at the moment mm. in this kind of the, you know, the, the great resignation, as yes. they call it, where you know, the average business has lost about a quarter to a third of its staff since the COVID lockdown. As people look for greener pastures, many people are actually apparently going back to the same profession. That's what we're seeing in the United States. People have left, found the grass wasn't greener on the other side of the fence, and have now hopped back yeah. over the fence. <laughs> yes. So interesting. But where I was going is that the RBNZ have lost about a third of their staff. Central banks globally don't have a high turnover of staff. It's typically the pinnacle of one's banking career. And the knowledge and expertise that is built up, it's really, really important that mm. you have that there. And a lot of these people, the term is they're a lifer. Yes. They typically work at the Reserve Bank for life. Mm. You know, they're trusted. They're the, the ultimate civil servant. Well, these people are leaving. It's almost unheard of. And and if you look at the people coming in, many of them don't have serious banking experience. Mm. They've got things like uh, focus on climate change, on sustainability. And it's like, so people are saying, has the Reserve Bank lost its mission focus? Mm. Right? So if you were trying to put a man on the moon, you have a very, very definitive focus. Well, the Reserve Bank's focus historically has been on price stability. That being cost of living and inflation, okay? Mm. Price stability. Whereas now, now going off on a mandate and talking about, you know, like climate change, sustainability, bringing in mouldy principles into the organizational structure and thinking, and then they've had added to their remit by the incumbent government, the Labour government, they've had it where they not just focus on price stability and inflation, but they focus on employment. Now people are saying they need to put in housing as well. Well, that mission critical, putting the man on the moon, just allow the Reserve Bank to focus on one thing. That's the best thing that one can do because inflation is the thief in the night. It is robbing you without you knowing it. Okay, It doesn't even have to open your wallet. It just takes money from you as you sleep. So it's one of those things where we need the Reserve Bank to focus on that core competency because at the moment people are doing it pretty tough out there, Ken. It is very expensive to live. And it's not just in New Zealand, but it's globally. But our one, look, unfortunately, you know, we joined the mantra of, well, we joined the bandwagon of printing a lot of cash, and we yep. did it very, very well. And unfortunately, we're having to unwind that, yep. and now the criticism is starting. And in fact, it was only last week that the uh, opposition has made a request that there be an inquiry into the way we have handled this particular program so that we can learn from it next time and the government naturally are not so keen to for that inquiry to take place so you're saying the uh, the reserve banks really drifted away from its core principles i yes it is and what do you think could you put a dollar value on that should we say mistake and, and why do you think they went down the road that they went down <laughs> the reasons why we make decisions 
we often don't really understand until you know there is a with the fullness of time we get an understanding as to the machinations and what the cost was on on why we did things and, and what was the ultimate result and if you think about it you know in the you know covid crisis uh of early uh, 2020 the reserve bank were having to do things they hadn't done yes. before and they developed programs and systems that were built on a certain set of assumptions and we had not done those before and you know here we are now with the and with the fullness of time we can look back and say well that was the cost and boy yeah. that was a mistake or we went too hard on that or we pulled that lever too much or that lever too little so it's really really easy for you and i to look yeah. back and make those statements yes but in terms of one aspect that we can always quantify is cost. Yeah. And when the Reserve Bank bought their um, asset buyback program, so they would go onto the market and buy fixed income or buy bonds, mm. and they would drive the price, they would drive the yield or the return on those bonds down by paying a premium for the bonds. So they would drive the price of the bonds up and drive the yield down. And when you drive the yield down or drive interest rates down, that means that it lowers the entire cost of capital across that particular sector. So, in other words, all bonds decline. And it means that people like banks, when they're lending, it also lowers those interest rates. Now, we hadn't ever done that before. But here's the twist. When the Reserve Bank did that, they asked for an underwrite from the government. Now, the Reserve Bank is its an interesting creation, an interesting critter, in that it's independent. Mm. It has its own independent board. Yes, it has regular comms with the government. Yes, it's based in Wellington, not Auckland or, or Christchurch. So, but it is a separate entity. But they requested an underwrite. So that that is that if they were to go onto the market and buy these billions and billions of dollars of bonds, if the bonds were to decline in value later, so in other words, the Reserve Bank pays a premium for the bonds, goes over the odds and pays a premium, what happens if later on they end up holding a sack of those bonds that turn out mm. to be worth less than what they paid for. Okay. okay. We now know what that number is because Treasury is having to underwrite that now mm. and front with the cash. And the figure is, and I've heard different numbers, but I've heard that it's between four and $5,000 per New Zealand wow. household. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Now, those figures were only released last week. No one knew the cost of the underwrite. Mm. So we now know... What the Reserve Bank did, we know why they did it, but we now know the cost. Is that a good thing that they did, or does that now reflect on their independence moving forward? Uh, you, it does. Well, that's why um, the opposition are requesting an inquiry yeah. into how we've done things. And, you know, if you read the tea leaves and you look at the, the Reserve Bank governor's presentation at select committee level, uh, the opposition, dare I say it, do not want to have him reappointed. So there's definitely questions around the direction of travel. And if you look at the cost, um, you know that the taxpayer has had to underwrite for the Reserve Bank. Mm. You got to remember, it's you know people talk about, oh, don't worry, the government have underwritten it. No, it's you and I yeah, as taxpayers. That's right. So that's where you'd have to say, possibly, yes, we did, you know, overcook the turkey. Yeah. Just for uh, people who might be like me who haven't got a, yes. a good grip on um, financial matters, why do we need an RBNZ? What, what, I mean, what is there? It's not like a banking go and okay. put ten bucks in and take ten bucks out, is it? The Reserve Bank manages um, effectively manages our money supply, and that's a really really good thing because if you think about if you go back to the Great Depression, now many of us you know our our forebears have long since passed since that awful period of time um, occurred, 
But if you think about it, not many states had, or no one had a central bank at that stage. There was people who were focused on these things, but, for example, in the United States, what is effectively the Fed Reserve was a division of the war ministry. Mm. It wasn't independent in the sense, um, you know, they were just boffins that would talk about concepts. Whereas now, I mean, you think about it, you know, like people when they talk about the RBNZ or the Australian Central Bank or you know, the Fed Reserve, you know, these are cornerstone yes. pillars of the way that we function and finance works. So if we didn't have them, we may have a repeat of what has happened in the past. Mm. Or you could have a repeat. Look, look at a country like, say, Turkey at the moment. Mm. The, um, the Reserve Bank is no longer independent and they have rampant inflation and they have an absolute fiscal and economic crisis that is occurring right now because they don't have what we do. So effectively what's required is a course correction and going back to basics, you know, yeah. that man on the moon concept, mm-hmm. single focus. But the organisation and what it does is very, very important and a lot of people have taken for granted what it does. But if we can firm up on the independence and we can get them focused on that, you know, their direction of travel... That would be really, really important because they do an amazing job. Like that, almost like the invisible hand mechanism. Yes. Extremely important that a lot of people either don't understand or have ignored because things have run very, very smoothly for a long period of time mm-hmm. in God's own. Which is a good segue into our next topic for discussion, which is inflation. Now you mentioned a bit earlier about printing money. Yes. Well, printing money can be a good thing, can't it? Especially if we wind the clock back to the start of COVID. Very that much a, so. That was a great thing. But when does that dog turn around and start? Biting itself. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. It's a little bit like, think about the magpies at the moment. Okay, so we defended the shield in the weekend. Yes, we So did. those out of our region, Hawke's Bay currently holds the Ranfurly Shield, the Hawke's Bay magpies, and we had a shield defence in the weekend. And to those who don't follow rugby or the Ranfurly Shield, the shield is put up for grabs when you play a home game. Mm-hmm. Now, you can tour with the shield, and it can be up for grabs. Most people don't. Um, so, of course, we had a shield defence in the weekend against Poverty Bay, Mm. who we absolutely comfortably thrash, thank goodness. But the fact is, it's like playing teams that are suboptimal to your grade and getting the feeling that you're doing extremely (laughs) well. And that's a little, that's the analogy I will use for printing money. Because you're printing the cash, so long as inflation doesn't stem out of hand, everyone goes, hey, this is working really well. This is amazing. We can pump liquidity into the market. We can, you know, fill people's bank accounts. This is really good. Yeah. And if inflation doesn't go up, people are like, hey, this isn't so bad. This is this is awesome. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, at some stage, where you have too much money chasing too few goods yeah. or too few services, mm-hmm. then the costs of those services will increase as people out-compete one another. And that's what we've got at the moment. And that's when, unfortunately... You have to unwind the position or, going back to rugby, the magpies have to play inside their own yes. grade. And instead of playing Poverty Bay, we play the Bay of Plenty. Yes, that's right. And that is a tough game. <laughs> I was listening to some talkback over the weekend, and uh, I sort of t- I like to look at it sort of being devil's advocate when I listen to uh, commentators. And they were saying that uh, they were against um, the government handing out this latest bailout oh, that look, and yeah. they were saying you know because it's uh, it's just going to fuel inflation but and they said who really needs it and i was saying to my wife well the person who can't feed their kids they really need it so where do you draw them is it a fine line that you you have to cross sometimes is it a mistake i don't know in terms of handing out free cash yeah helicopter money that yeah, we're about to start yeah. because the, the, the guy at the bottom of the pile he needs that money because they can't get by at the moment 
Yeah, correct. The cost of living and inflation, it hits those at the bottom the yeah. hardest. And it, it's awful on what on what occurs because percentage of a person's wallet or their uh, take-home pay or transfer mm-hmm. credit, in other words, like a beneficiary payment from government, the portion of that that is exposed to rampant inflation mm. is huge. Ken, if, if half of your take-home pay is exposed to petrol, power prices and groceries, you're doing it tough. Absolutely right. And you're having to make decisions about what you forego to survive. And that, when I mean survive, I mean to actually just stretch out that dollar. And that's, well, that's really yeah. problematic. But but when you're doing helicopter money, okay, think about it like at, at the moment, I'm going to be fertilising a lawn at the moment. Now, when I go across with the fertiliser and I just sprinkle the fertiliser across, you can imagine there are some areas that are going to do really, really well. This is if I just sprinkle it across everything, mm-hmm. paths, Sounds like me. Wooden edging, <laughs> yes. grass, yes. shrubs. That's helicopter money. You're yes. just imagine you're just pouring fertilizer across a property, irrespective yes. of the layout of the land. Now it's extremely efficient mm-hmm. in terms of the delivery mechanism because you just you just spray sure. fertilizer. Yeah. But the fact is, it's not applied with discretion. No. It should be targeted, shouldn't it? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> It's a lot of money. We're spending billions of dollars doing this. Yes. Um, and unfortunately, as you may have read in the media or the newspaper or seen on social media, for many who don't read the newspaper anymore, a social media has been, the last 24 hours, has been inundated with stories about how there are people who are overseas mm-hmm. who are going to receive yep. this support payment. That's what I'm getting at. So this is the fertiliser that's been sprinkled on concrete. It's overseas. It's not in New Zealand. Exactly. We've tried the targeted mechanism. Look, ultimately, the way to support people with inflation is to get inflation down. Yeah. Go to the core of the matter. Is the, is the other way to get inflation down more tax? Yeah, well, um, there are times in the United States that I've been reading or listening on uh, economic podcasts where uh, there were times in the U.S. Uh, during the 1970s where they did the taxation rate to um, stymie inflation. Mm. A very unpopular, of, extremely, particularly yes. to the political class. <laughs> yes, indeed. But you think about it. So you either you either reduce government spending or increase government take. Yeah, increase the government take, but it depends on what the government does with the money. Yeah. Okay. Because if the government takes money off you and I, but then it then transfers it and pumps it out to the economy or gives it to taxpayers to spend, hmm. you've just done exactly the same thing. Whereas you actually need to shrink the amount of cash going around. So remember I said too much money chasing too few goods? Yeah. You need to reduce the amount of money. So, yes, taxation, increasing taxation would do that so long as the government then doesn't pump it straight back into the economy. I heard a political commentator saying, uh, just a final word on this, just yes. about our time, but yes. uh, saying that the light is at the end of the tunnel. They think there's a bit of a shift in inflation and it's, um, it's coming down. Were they right or was that just wishful thinking? Um, no, no, no. If you look at the yield curve, so if we look at the yield of bonds of fixed income, so in simple terms, a bond, if you look at it over a one, two, three, four, five-year period, so over five years, you can see that it goes up over the first one and two years. So in other words, you know, you're getting a, a higher yield as you buy the one and the two. And then after three, so from three, four, and five, the yield actually starts to taper off. So that means that the market for debt instruments, so for fixed income, depending on which side, so either you're a borrower or a depositor, the yield at that kind of four and five years 
actually starts to pull back. So that's the market saying, hey, it's not going to go higher. It is going to peak, and we can look through to the other side and see that that's the other side of the storm. Yeah. Now, markets look through these things. They always have. Mm. But for you and I who have to live it, yes, we can see through the other side of the storm and see that there's calm waters and happy days. We still have to sail through the storm to get to the other side. And the storm, that's what's coming through at the moment. So that's why we always say to people, you know, have you got a budget? Do you have a financial plan? Do you have reserve funds? Is your portfolio, is your structure optimized so you can weather the storm? So you can get to the other side, still have your shirt, be absolutely fine, and you know, and not have too many, you know, grazes on your knees and skin knuckles on the way through. And one thing I've been saying to a couple of colleagues and friends of late is that if you think about it, like if we go back to the global financial crisis, 2008. So that occurred September, October of 2008. The US stock market tanked, sorry, declined. Mm. Um, we were affected here in New Zealand, so we're our um, compadres um, over the ditch in Australia. Everyone was affected. In April of 2009, so literally, you know, like six months later, six or seven months later, the world stock market started rallying. It started to increase. Like, that was the bottom. And it just kept going and going and going. Like, and it was great. So anyone that invested during the storm actually had very, very good returns thereafter. But you may recall that in New Zealand, we entered a period after that that was very, very difficult. There was a lot of liquidations, receiverships, all the finance companies tipped over, a lot of unwinding of leverage. So in other words, a lot of property developers having to sell their assets, etc. That occurred 2009, 10, 11, and then finally in 2012, the last of those entities were washed out and gone. So in other words, I've just told you what you mm. would have been reading in the media. Yes. So 10 negative, 11 negative, 12 negative headlines in the business pages. And yet your diversified global portfolio rallied 09, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Mm. So that's how the market looks through the storm to the other yeah. side. Whereas what you and I are seeing yeah. on the footpath, on the street, in the newspapers, was very, very negative during that period for New Zealand. You have to be like yourself to understand it, I suppose. Well, that's the reason why we always say to people to have an advisor, have someone who's like a effectively like your own personal CFO. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, Ken, I don't do my own GS2 returns. No. I also don't write my own will, memorandum of wishes, and my trust deed. I go to people who are experts in that who have done it many, many times. Which is what the Stewart Group are. So just remind our listeners, Nick, if you want some sound financial advice, where do we get it? You get it at 204 Kadamu Road, the black basalt stone building with the tartan logo, or come and see us on the terrace in Wellington. <laughs>